You're listening to Honoring Women of Color in Public Health. This is an official podcast of the Public Health Podcasting Media Network, hosted by Lindsay Smith and Dr. Abram Moreno. In this podcast, we feature women of color who work in the field of community, global, and environmental health to provide support, inspiration, guidance, and mentorship along your journey as a woman of color in public health. We hope you enjoy the episode. All right, thank you so much for joining us today for Honoring Women of Color in Public Health. Today, we are speaking with Melissa Palafox. She is one of our interns slash fellows with um, her program at the UC Berkeley School of Public Health. Uh, she's a master's student, MPH, and she's been helping us out, uh, was doing great work with the um, Public Health Podcast and Media Network. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode, for this interview, Melissa. Thank you for having me, April. So uh, tell us a little bit more about you and your studies. I know I introduced you as a student. Tell us more. Yeah. So like you said, I'm a master's uh, student candidate at UC Berkeley, and I'm getting my master's in public health, and I'm specializing in an interdisciplinary field. So I wanted to kind of just dive into a lot of different fields, mainly community health sciences and healthcare management. So I can kind of see how I can integrate both of that once I graduate. Um, I'm really interested in just learning about women's health in general. And I wanted to integrate that into healthcare management because I feel like, you know, a lot of change happens or needs to spark through leadership and management because it's very hard for just you know community members to do everything. Like we need leaders and management to back us up and plan that. And that's what I want to be, hopefully in the future when I graduate. We definitely need help um, at all levels as it relates Mm -hmm. to uh, maternal child health, uh, women's health, the whole infrastructure and leadership uh, is where, you know, a lot of the, you know, infrastructure uh, and design and funding takes place. So we do need it. Yeah. You also mentioned I'm an intern here at Public Health Podcasters, and I really like it here because I also have my own podcast on the side. So I just feel like podcasting in general is like a really good outlet to, you know, not only spread awareness, but to have conversations with others, kind of like what we're doing right now. So you mentioned your main focus and your interest in public health having to do with uh, maternal child health, family health, you know, leadership and administration. My next question has to do with the fact that it is Hispanic Heritage Month. You know, let's talk a little bit about culture. Let's talk about family health and community health and things like that. How does public health interact with culture to you? When it comes to culture, I feel with any culture, um, I think that it's very important and it really affects people's health differently because, you know, different cultures have different beliefs and customs And it's important to know about these, not only to treat them, but also just to be empathetic, um, especially when you're a healthcare professional and you're delivering treatment to them. It's important to have empathy because, you know, a lot of their culture is something that they strongly believe in and will not, how would you say it? Like they won't um, sacrifice that. And For example, I'm thinking about this in like a Latina perspective. I don't know if I said this in the beginning. I didn't say it. I'm Latina. A lot of Latinas, you know, have are very Catholic and will just 
be strong in their beliefs. And also in my experience, I live in a low income community. So it is also very hard to like, if a healthcare professional is like, you need to eat healthier, you need to do this and that if it's out of their range, they're not going to do it. So it's kind of important to have that education when you're working in public health, in the public health field, because everyone's experience is different. It shapes their health. And in order to properly treat them, it's important to connect with them and have a trusting relationship. So that's how I think culture interacts with public health. And as a Latina specifically, I feel like language is an important part as well in healthcare delivery. So it's important to have or to like close the language barrier in healthcare in order to give people the proper quality of health treatment that they deserve. Yes, thank you. That's such a good point when you talk about um, what people are saying, what um, the medical community or what public health outreach is saying about healthy foods. Some of it is not culturally relevant, right? So Mm -hmm. I might get some kind of vegetable or some kind of item, food item that I don't know what to do with, right? Um, Right. Someone might not like, it might not be part of their regular diet. It's not part of their culture. It's just something that's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Right. Um, Right. So it's hard to translate that into um, improving health if it doesn't quite make sense. It's it's out of context. Yeah. And also like a part or like in a more broad term, like the community that I also live in, not only is it predominantly Latina or Latino, but it's also low income. There's not a lot of safe infrastructure so also saying like oh go out for a walk is also not as easily done here and it's just not fair so that's a whole other conversation because that's where like social determinants of health comes in um but with culture specifically I always think about my community because they always try to better it but at the end of the day like the community that they're in is not built to help them with their health so there's other ways that you need to address public health issues when it comes to culture you know parks are not always safe clean places some parks Mm -hmm. are just filthy right some parks are just like I don't even want to go to this park right Right. Um, you know there's there might be stuff happening there that is not safe Mm -hmm. Um, it's not it's just not walkable it's just not a pretty park the bathrooms are filthy you know there could be so many things uh, when it comes to parks and then even like freeways and roads in the area I'm thinking um, in particular about Baldwin Park, for example, like um, they fixed it recently. I don't know if you're familiar with like this part of the 10 or the 65 to the 60. I can't remember 710 to the 10 or something. It was like you had to go from like 60 to 10 miles per hour um, on the freeway. And then there was like this one part that led out and, mm-hmm. and people were coming on. It was it was made for danger. It was really dangerous. And it's yeah. just like you wouldn't see something like that in another type of neighborhood. Exactly. You know, it's like it's always in low income communities who just don't have the money to fix it or to make it safer. So it's just they have to live around it. Also, I do want to mention the blog post <laughs> I wrote for the internship. I wrote a blog post on just having a sex ed conversation with your parents in a Latina household or like a Latino family and just how it's very hard because like I mentioned a lot of Latinos are Catholic or tend to be Catholic and they just don't want to have that conversation 
there's a big stigma around sex in general. So when it, even if it's sex education, they would rather not talk to their kids about it. And I just think that's very dangerous or it could lead to dangerous things. Like maybe their kids can be misinformed or learn that information somewhere else. And it can be hard. I never got that conversation with my mom. She was always like, oh no, like that's not something for you to talk about. That's not something for you to even think about at the moment. So it was very tough learning about that later on my own. Yeah, thank you for sharing that story on our blog post on the Public Health News page recently. Uh, I think it was just mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago. And yeah, it's something that um, culturally is not, uh, people are not able to talk about. Si quieres, um, you know, vamos a hablar un poquito en español. Si hay alguien que habla español, quien está escuchando, ¿qué significa la salud en su cultura, en su identidad latina? Pues la salud pública para mí en la comunidad latina es algo muy importante. Número uno, porque como dije anterior, que muchas familias son católicas o tienen um, tradiciones muy con, like, conservative. Uh-huh. Por eso no, no quieren hablar sobre um, la salud pública sexuales. Y para mí, como yo dije, me importa la, la salud sexual y tener esa educación en, el famil- en la familia. Por eso es muy importante tener conversaciones y educarse sobre la salud pública en general. Y también, no más en la comunidad, es importante educarse sobre la comunidad, las necesidades de su comunidad y también a tener conversaciones con la comunidad. Like, it's just, ¿cómo se dice? Like, a trusting relationship. Una relación con confianza. Uh-huh. Y también si tengo... Yo, Si tengo un consejo, si quieres tener una educación sobre la salud pública, es importante tener un mente abierta. Yesterday, I heard the episode with Estefanía y ella dijo eso. Ella tiene que es muy importante tener un mente abierta porque la salud salud pública es muy grande. Conecta con, con muchas profesionales. Puede ser sobre la comunidad o individuales o también clínica o negocios. Like, the public health field is very broad. Entonces, tener un mente abierta y también empatía. Así se dice empatía. Empatía es muy importante porque, como dije anterior, las experiencias de personas son muy diferentes y puede, puede afectar su salud. Por eso aprender y educarse sobre la salud pública en su comunidad es muy importante. I have another funny story. I remember going with my grandma to her doctor appointments because my grandma didn't speak English. And I think I was like around 10 or 11. And I mean, that's another reason why I feel like language barriers is an important thing to look into because... I'm a 10, I was 10. How how am I going to express the same urgency to my grandma that a doctor who knew Spanish would? But this one time, I think he was trying to, to tell her that, that she could get osteoporosis if she doesn't take care of herself. I, at the time, I didn't know how to, I don't know how to say words like that. 
So I think I just told her like, oh, um, dice que, que tienes una enfermedad donde sus huesos te duelen. Mm. <laughs> like where her bones hurt. But it's like, I, that's not a good way to talk to you. <laughs> To explain something to a patient about like the urgency of like the illness that she has, you know, yeah. <laughs> and like I mean, little... pretty good for a 10 year old, though. I mean, I knew what it was. I just didn't know how to say it. <laughs> Even if it was in English, right? As a 10 year old, how are you supposed to be able to explain medical terminology? And then yeah. as yeah. a translator, as a kid to family members, it's it's tough. It's really tough. That's why I feel like if the doctor doesn't know, I feel like they should look into interpreters at least. If my grandma's relying on me and she doesn't see it as an urgent thing, maybe she won't take action, like proper action, you know? That's a little funny anecdote to say that this is what pushed me to want to better my Spanish and become part of the public health field so I can help those in my community, like my grandma. Y también la comunidad es muy importante para cuidarse a sí mismo y y la otra las otras personas en la familia. No sé si está muy popular ahora, pero en el pasado se llamaba um, The Latino Paradox. Are you familiar with that? No. Es muy interesante y pienso que todavía existe. Uh, the Latino Paradox dice que um, aunque tenemos mucha alta colesterol, colesterol y um, alto, oh, uh, alta presión, um, obesidad sí. y todo, hay muchas personas Um, latinos que viven muchos años y por qué y um, mucha gente y la, la comunidad clínica no puede entender no puede saber mm -hmm. por qué hay gente latina mm -hmm. que puede vivir hasta los años de 90 100 años sí. um, aunque tenemos es, esos problemas um, de salud interesante pienso que es hay algo que hacer con la comunidad. Sí, como la salud es? pública, como, como dije, es muy general y no nomás es clínica, también puede ser emocionalmente o también, um, por ejemplo, mental health. Eso también puede afectar la salud de una persona, no nomás clínicamente, enfermedades. Todo es un, un entity. Por eso yo creo que a veces unos um, latinos puede sobrevivir muchos años porque si hay, si tienen buen salud en el mente o emocionalmente puede, pueden sobrevivir muy feliz y más años. Ya, yeah, hay mucho que decir, pero yeah. sí, pienso que todavía es posible, um, todavía existe este um, oh, okay. latino paradox. No sé si en, en, en tu familia si hay personas, abuelas, abuelos viviendo muchos años. Um, en mi familia, um, en Texas, hay, hay mis um, hermanas de mi abuela viviendo muchos años. Um, sí, pues um, desafortunadamente mis abuelos todavía no, o ahorita no están vivos, uh -huh. pero sí vivieron muchos años. Y mi abuelita del lado de mi mamá, ella sí, sí tenía muchas conversaciones sobre la salud. Uh -huh. pero, pero algo que voy a decir que ella no le gustaba hablar 
sobre la, la salud sexual. Y tengo una historia que ella encontró mi anticonceptivas en mi bolsa y ella no le gustaba. Ella me regañó. Uh -huh. <ríe> A mí ya, ya sabes que muchas abuelitas no deben de... No, si, si eran latinas o filipina o de otra cultura, todas abuelas no le gustan a ver eso sobre sus nietas. Pero además, ella sí gustaba tener conversaciones de salud y ella me, me enseñó muchas cosas sobre la comida, cómo comer saludable y ella tomó caminos. Ella, ella a veces iba fue a caminar y ella ella le, le gustó caminar como en el parque y, y a, el parque donde yo vivo tiene como un gimnasio para los abuelos y you no know, algo que es muy muy fácil hacer y ella le gustaba ir allí y you no know, cada día o cada en la mañana entonces yo creo que por eso ella vi, vivió muchos años mm, wow qué bueno Great. Yeah, so tell us what advice do you have for anyone who's interested in getting started in public health, whether you know they go to college or you know, they may or may not want to go through the whole degree process for many reasons, but what advice would you have for somebody getting started? And you can, you know, answer this in English, Spanglish, Spanish, however. I'll probably do Spanglish. <laughs> okay. One thing I would say is to take advantage of internships. If you are in post-grad or not post-grad, if you're like in school and you don't know what part of public health you want to do, I think internships is a good way of finding out exactly what field you want. Um, like, I'm, like we mentioned many times, public health is broad. And if you don't know if you want to do, you know, research or qualitative research, or um, outreach, you know, you can just look for internships or network with people in those fields to see, you know, if you want to be in that field or if it fits you. Um, I know it's very hard to look for these, but I found this internship through uh, UC Berkeley's Flex. So there's a lot of resources. You can use your school's resources to look for internships and Even if it's free, um, you know, you can take your time with it and just dip your toes in it. I feel like that will be very useful. So we're still getting started. We don't have, you know, that kind of infrastructure yet. But, um, you know, volunteering just to get your feet wet. There's pros and cons. I mean, when you're a volunteer, it's um, less selective. Like people will just give you the opportunity, you know. Um, when it's like a job, it, it's tough, right? Job searching is tough. I'm, I'm yeah. still looking for stuff. I'm looking for, you know, certain opportunities as well for um, mm -hmm. just to have something consistent um, mm -hmm. while I build this network. And, you know, it's it's hard. So um, when you volunteer, it's just people, you know, appreciate it. And it's a lot easier to just to get that experience, right? There's a lot to say about just getting experience. So um, I... And it gives you still the opportunity. It's it's not as competitive to get in. Like we offer you opportunities for, you know, research, podcasts, yeah. you're learning, you know, look into those opportunities, right? So, um, you know, let's say I want to learn how to do something. I've never done it before. Well, you know, you can go out there and intern and volunteer and offer your time so that you're learning it like real, like applied experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I 
I just feel like it, it even builds your resume, you know, so it's like a good way to showcase your skills. And like you mentioned, it's really hard to find a job nowadays. So just anything would help you put your foot in the door for the for like the future career you want. You know, if it's like for providing course credit, even better, right? That's awesome. Right. Yeah. You know, like this one. one. Yeah. So, um, you know, we help students out with their practicum. We've got UC Berkeley. We've got SUNY Downstate. We're going to have Cal State San Marcos um, coming soon next quarter, next semester. So, yeah, these are great opportunities. Good. Yeah. You know, you have a podcast. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. So I have my own personal podcast on the side. It was just something I wanted to start when I got into listening to podcasts. And it's just about having conversations with 20-somethings because I'm a 20-something. So that's what it's called, conversations with a 20-something. Because I just felt like at that time when I started it, I was unemployed. And it was just a common issue. Like I remember thinking like, oh, my life is going nowhere right now, but I feel like a lot of other people in their 20s feel that way. So I thought maybe having a podcast to just talk about issues that a lot of 20-somethings go through would be cool. So I just have all my friends right now. Like I just get friends on and we talk about issues like unemployment or like budgeting. We had one recently where we talked about like applying to college and just stuff like that. And I like it to be casual. So I kind of include like a wine in each one because I also like learning about wine. So in each episode, I'll include one and like we'll talk a little bit about it. Um, Just out of curiosity, what's your favorite wine? My favorite wine at the moment, um, because it's been so hot, uh, I get rosés. All right. Like a refreshing rosé right now. You know, thank you so much for joining us today, Melissa. Today, we honor you as a woman of color in public health. Happy Hispanic Latinx Heritage Month. And yes, thank you for having me on. Yeah, well, you can follow uh, my wine blog slash podcast blog on Instagram at the chatty fox underscore. Uh, I named it the chatty fox because my last name is Paolo Fox. And I love to talk on the podcast. So I'm there on Instagram. Or you can follow my personal one at love a fox underscore and yeah i just i hope to incorporate more public health topics in my podcast so if you're interested to follow along make sure that you look it up on spotify and apple Podcasts. thanks so much for joining us thank you so much april